worship is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. It is to be participated in, fully participated in. And our hearts and minds rise heavenward, soaring to his presence, to thank him for who he is, for what he means in our lives. And that's what's going on this Palm Sunday. Grateful to God, thankful to him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives.
Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Luke chapter 19, and we're reading at verse 28. Baptismal family tucked underneath your chair, you'll find a Bible there for your use if you don't have it already. And we are reading Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through to 48. The triumphal entry, and you'll find it on page, let me get my page number for you, 1631 of the Pew Bible, page 1631, Luke chapter 19. Jesus had been teaching on the parable of the coins or the minas, and we read, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he had came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls and they will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming. Incidentally, that prophecy came to pass in the year AD 70 when the Romans raised the entire city and the temple uh, to the ground. Then verse 45, and then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet none could, excuse me, yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Before we come to our passage this morning, I wanted to highlight a couple of books for you. And from time to time, we have a book of the month here at First Presbyterian. And over the last 12 to 14 months, there have been a number of Christian books come out describing heaven. And this is certainly one of my favorites. It's entitled, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Heaven. And pastorally, from time to time, people will come to me and say, Richard, what is heaven really like? 
That often happens when a husband uh, dies and then goes off to heaven before a wife, sometimes vice versa. Sometimes it will be younger folks asking me about a grandparent. Will I know them when I get to heaven? What do we do all day long? Will we still know husbands and wives and children and grandchildren and so on? And the Hitchhiker's Guide to Heaven is for me certainly one of the best that's out there, well worth having, and it's in the church bookstore by John Blanchard. The other one that seemed appropriate this time of year was Meet the Real Jesus. And if you have wondered for some time, what is the historical evidence for our faith? Was there really a man Jesus? Did he work miracles? Did he die on Good Friday? Was he raised from the dead? What is the historicity? Is there any historical evidence for it? And John mercifully looks at the entire life of Jesus, not just his birth and his death. And it, again, is warm, accessible, exceedingly uh, well written and available in the bookstore for you. So please, if you have a moment, uh, pop in and pick them up. They are excellent reads for this time of year. Now let's come to our passage of Scripture this morning. And we're coming on Palm Sunday. Highly significant Sunday. No other Sunday like it in the course of the year. And yesterday when I was preparing, I was thinking to myself, what other events have happened on April the 13th down through history? And here are some of them. In the year 1860, the first Pony Express rider reached Sacramento in California. In 1861, after 34 hours of bombardment, Fort Sumter surrendered to the Confederates, which is just as well. It would be terrible in the tourist business in Charleston if they were still doing that whole shelling thing. So I'm glad, glad they've done with that. 1970, on April the 13th, Apollo 13 announced, Houston, we've got a problem as an oxygen tank exploded en route to the moon. 1979, April the 13th, the longest doubles table tennis match in history was completed after 101 hours. Can you imagine ping pong for 101 hours? 1986, some of you may have been there at the 50th, 50th Masters Golf Championship. Jack Nicholas won, and in 2008, Trevor Immelman from South Africa won the Masters as well. And why is April the 13th important? Why this particular Sunday? Because this particular Sunday, in AD 33, was the first time Palm Sunday was experienced and celebrated and rejoiced in. And why? Well, if you're familiar with Luke's Gospel, you will know that Luke chapter 9, verse 37, takes you in an entirely new direction. Up till that point, it was one miracle after another after another, giving credence and authenticity and credibility as to who Jesus was. But at Luke 9.37, everything changes when Luke records these words. From that time on, Jesus resolutely headed for Jerusalem. Again, you find it in chapters 11, in chapter 13, and in chapter 18, focusing on Jerusalem. And the more intimate you become with Luke's gospel, the more you discover this. That Jesus moving towards Jerusalem is not something that was done to him, but something he was doing. He was fulfilling the purpose and plan of God's eternal decrees as he moved towards Calvary. 
And on Palm Sunday, when the crowds gather and throw down their cloaks and the palm branches are waved in great celebration, they were reflecting the Psalms that talked about the coming of the Messiah and how salvation will come for all of humanity. And that first Easter Sunday, or excuse me, that first Palm Sunday, was packed with expectation, great excitement, great anticipation. God was at work. And the disciples could feel it and sense it. They didn't have all of the I's dotted or the T's crossed or fully understood all that was unfolding before them. But Jesus himself understood. And you have in Luke's account what is typical of Luke. Luke was a Gentile writing for us, the Gentiles. He often explains what the Jewish feasts and festivities are about. And of course, he explains it was the beginning of Passover week. That week when people from all across the Mediterranean basin, from North Africa, Egypt, from modern-day Turkey, Constantinople, down to Syria and Jordan, and then into Jerusalem itself. And Josephus, an ancient historian from the Middle East, said this, that during Passover week, Jerusalem could have as many as two and a half million visitors. Can you imagine who was going to house and hotels and family homes two and a half million visitors? Who would feed them? What about the transportation? And as you can imagine, as children were traveling with parents, fathers, of course, would be sitting with them on their knees in the cart, making their way to Jerusalem, and the children would be asking, Dad, are we there yet? Are we, when are we going to get there? And Dad, of course, would be bouncing them up and down on his knee and then passing them to Mum. Mum would do the same and then pass them back to Dad, trying to contain all the excitement. And Dad, of course, would be singing that age-old hymn. It was very popular in the ancient Near East. He'd be moving them up and down and singing, the wheels on the carts go round and round, round and You can just see the whole thing unfolding. And they arrive knowing that the Passover is about to begin. Celebrating the day when God in all of his wonder and grace and mercy brought the people of Israel out of bondage into emancipation and then into the promised land. Time of great celebration and rejoicing. And Luke wonderfully tells us that on his way up to Jerusalem, he passed through Bethpage and Bethany. And if you know Jerusalem, you will know that they are about two and a half miles outside of the city center. They sit on the southern slope. If you move through Bethpage and Bethany as it used to be, and then you stand on the hilltop, you can see the entirety of the city before you. And in Bethpage, Jesus, or Bethany rather, Jesus spent the night with three of his closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it was only days before, between six and eight days before, that Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. And on that Palm Sunday, people were amazed in utter incredulity of all of the miracles and the teaching, and they gathered to move with Jesus into Jerusalem. At the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus was always welcomed. 
And Luke gives us that little window, that opening into the private life of Jesus that none of the other gospel writers give us. And at that home, he could relax, could be himself. Thousands weren't gathering to hear him teach. No one was coming looking for a miracle. And he could relax around the dinner table, looking back over the years that they'd known each other, celebrating and enjoying each other's company. This past week, I visited family and friends in Scotland and got home on Thursday evening. And during those days of visiting friends and family, we would meet round a meal regularly. In fact, I can't remember when I last ate as much. And they would say to me, how are things? And we would reminisce about childhood and growing up in our parents' homes. And we remember Christmases and holidays. And we would have great fun together. And the thing that astonishes my family most, not just my siblings. I am one of five and Ruth is one of five. So we have huge families to visit when we go back. And the thing that surprises them most is that I'm a pastor. They cannot believe it's even remotely possible that I would turn out the way I did. I was the black sheep of the family for far too long, far too long. And they're just amazed. And they would, I had an uncle say to me, in all sincerity, Richard, are they looking after you over in the colonies? And then I would take the next 15 or 20 minutes to bore everyone around the table because I would be telling them about you and who you are and what you're like and your love for the things of God and your desire to grow spiritually. I would talk to them of learning from the Scripture and answered prayer and feeling and sensing God at work. And around that table I had the opportunity to speak of Him often. And in Bethpage and Bethany, when Jesus was with His friends, He would talk a great deal about His Father. He would talk about those whom He loved. And as we move from Palm Sunday into Holy Week, let me encourage you, please, with all of the passion I can, that when you sit down this week and meet with family and friends and move towards Easter Sunday, when there's that awkward moment right at the beginning of the meal when no one's quite sure, should we say a blessing, should we pray, what should happen, step forward. Simply say, allow me to pray and speak well of him. Sprinkle him into your conversation. When you're out at lunch this week from a colleague at work, ask them, can I pray? Give him the place of honor he deserves in your home. Delight in him in your workplace. Speak well of him. Jesus loved deeply going to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And as he leaves there and moves towards Jerusalem, one of the difficulties for us on a Palm Sunday is this, is to focus on the donkey, or focus on the Passover, 
or focus on the palm branches. And we love to reenact Palm Sunday, especially during the first hymn, when the children come in waving the palms and singing, and all the parents and grandparents are there keeping an eye on children and grandchildren. Why? Number one, they're as cute as a button. And we just love them and can't wait to see them. What a thrill that is for parents. But on that Palm Sunday, when the adults, praise God, when they begin to sing Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, when they say peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest, which is very reminiscent of what the angel said in Luke chapters 1 and 2, when adults become involved in worship, when we become emotional, when our heart and mind and soul soars heavenwards and we find ourselves singing from the hymn book and we are singing enthusiastically with all of the passion that we have because we know him and love him, what happens? Those around us like to kind of stand back a little because we're slightly embarrassed that an adult is enjoying worship like that. But should we be? Oh, it's cute when it's children. But when it's an adult, we, the frozen chosen, get a little unsettled, a little irritated. It's a little awkward when an adult should enjoy worshipping the living God. And what do the Pharisees say? They say, teacher, tell them to be quiet. Don't they know where true worship should happen in the temple? Controlled in a rigid framework. No room for spontaneity. No room for love that's blossoming and growing. No room for the majestic, the glorious, the wonders of His grace. And that morning I think some of them caught a glimpse of what was really going on. That eternity past was now coming to fruition and the salvation of humanity was about to take place. And they sensed it and couldn't quite put their finger on it, but they knew something was happening. And what does Jesus say? If I tell them to be quiet, the very stone we walk on will cry out in adoration and praise. God was at work in downtown Jerusalem. And the religious leaders of the day were embarrassed and felt awkward and annoyed and irritated. Instead of rejoicing and crying out for themselves, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As you prepare for Easter Sunday, next Sunday morning, let me encourage you, please, tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday to take five minutes out and say, Father, cleanse my heart. Change me. Allow me, please, to focus on you, the living God, this week. Allow me to be caught up in all that was accomplished. Help me not to forget Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and the death and the agony of Christ for our sins and let me to be captured by him again and to prepare for Easter all over again. And how did Jesus prepare? 
he goes into the temple precincts. And the temple precincts, to give you a sense, were the size of 35 football fields. It was large. The people coming from North Africa, modern-day Turkey, from Syria, Jordan, and around the area of ancient Palestine wouldn't carry calves and goats and doves with them. They would simply purchase them at the temple. And can you imagine the smell and the stench and animals bleating all over the place and money being exchanged? And Jesus understands that salvation is about to break out that he will go to Calvary's cross and be raised on Sunday morning. And they are cheating pilgrims by exchanging money. Power and corruption and theft and greed was there in the temple. And no wonder he turned over the tables. No wonder he fashioned a whip and drove them out of the temple. A place of worship and prayer. A place that should be holy and sacred. And it was being defiled and treated with disdain and contempt. And he prepared for Easter the cleansing of the temple. And I have to confess this morning that my own heart at times is not as clean as it might be. There are times not only when my own sin surprises me, it shocks me. And I remember again His love and grace and all that took Him to Calvary for me. And I have to pray, Father, forgive me. Cleanse me. I have no interest in the eternal and the majesty and glory and wonder of His love. I'm caught up with the shallow and the superficial. Father, forgive me. Strengthen me. Enable me. Walk with me. Allow me, please, to be caught up with you once again. And when you are there, then when the heart and mind is soaring heavenward, when you are passionate, then when you're emotional, you understand intimacy with the living God all over again. That's our prayer this Palm Sunday. Not to be focused on the donkey or the palm branches or the Passover, but to be focused on Him. And with hearts and souls rejoicing, we say, Hosanna, and blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's Palm Sunday. So this week, when you gather around the meal table, pray. Allow the conversation to be salted by His presence. Give Him the place of honor. And prepare for Easter, remembering that He came into this world to die for our sins, that we would hear this time next week, He has risen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Thank you for all of the joy and the celebration that we have this Palm Sunday. And help us as we move into this week to give Him the foremost place in our lives, to talk of Him, 
to rejoice in him, to focus on him, and to be able to say, Hosanna, for blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. Join us as we celebrate the Scottish heritage of the Presbyterian Church with curtain banners, Scottish songs, and a message from Dr. Richard Gibbons. Kilts and plaids are the dress of the day.